So last week, Brother Mark got us started in this series that we're calling the Seven Churches of Revelation. And I love how Mark had the overall opening message was Jesus reigns over all. Jesus is in control. That was the overall theme of what he was saying about Revelation and getting us into this series. And as we talked Revelation 1 a little bit, and we're going to build off of that this morning. We're going to see that Jesus does reign over all. Jesus is in control. And we're going to take a look at this letter to the church of Ephesus, this first letter Our focus scripture is going to be in Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. It's on page 1274 if you're using the Bible that's provided, but it's Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. But as as you turn there, I want you to think for a moment about love. We pray about love, we sing about love, we want Jesus. Jesus is all we want and all we do. The why behind our what is love. And as you think about that, I want you to think for a moment of somebody very near and dear to your heart. Somebody you would do anything for. Nothing would stop you. Nothing would get in the way of what you would do for that person. Could be a spouse. Could be a child. Could be a friend. Hopefully, for all of us sitting in here, it's Jesus. Nothing will get in the way. And I want to ask yourself, why? You would do anything for them. All those things you would do, why would you do it? Love. The answer is love. We do what we do in love. And that's important because that's going to be a central theme and a focus on this message this morning. Because that can go one of two ways, right? In our lives, that goes one of two ways. I'm going to use some phrases here as I talk for the next couple minutes on things we've all heard. Because when we have love and we're in a relationship, especially a covenant relationship, There's two directions. Love can grow strong and bold, or love can grow stagnant, stale, and cold. And over time, we want to hear those words and say those words, I love you more than I did back then. The more I'm with you, the longer I know you, the more I love you. It's strong, it's bold. But in reality, we know that it's not that easy at times, even for some of us in here. It's not that easy at times, because the longer we go, sometimes it don't mature and grow, it goes cold and stale. It gets routine. We've also heard the phrase, love at first sight, and oh, they're still in the honeymoon stages. Why do we say that? Because love at first sight is impactful. It's meaningful. It's strong. And we don't want to lose that love at first sight mentality. And we want it to grow over time. But we hear that phrase, oh, they're still in the honeymoon stages. The sad reality and truth to why we say that is what? It's because we just assume that it's going to wear off, that the love's going to wear off. You're going to get caught up in duty. You're going to get caught up in routine. The why you do what you do will because you have to, not because you want to and you get to. See, there's one of two directions it goes. And then specifically, a covenant relationship of marriage with our spouses, we don't want that to grow cold. We want it to grow bold. We want it to grow more. We want to love them more today than we did back then. And more importantly than that, our relationship with Jesus Christ because of the new covenant, the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you love Jesus more now than you did? Is your love for Jesus right here sitting here today, is it bold or is it cold? Did you show up this morning out of routine and because it's just what you do? Or did you, be, or did you show up here this morning because Jesus is your all in all? Like Dan saying earlier, all you want is Jesus. We have to challenge ourselves with that question. I'm going to challenge us all with that question this morning. Because it has a lot to do and it sets the scene well for what we're going to be talking about this morning. 
Because this church in Ephesus, we'll find out, they abandoned their love. They left their love. They lost it and needed to find it. It's a huge theme in what we're going to go on, and it sets it well. And as we get going and moving on this, I want to kind of set the scene because it's very important as we go through those, these letters to help it pop, help it make sense. We've got to talk a little bit about what's going on. And Brother Mark last week set it up extremely well with who's writing it, where they're at, what's going on. I'm actually just going to use chapter 1. You don't got to turn, I can read it for you. It's chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. It's going to give us the answer to a few W's here, okay? Who's writing it, where they're at, what they're doing, who they're with, why they're writing it, all summed up in just a couple verses straight from God's Word. Here's what it says. It says, I, John, your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos. So John's writing it. Where he's at? The island of Patmos, which is like a prison. He's there on the account of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus, it says. So that's why he's there, for serving God, doing God's work. He says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So he's not alone. He's with the Spirit. He's in the Spirit. And he says, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, write what you see in the book. So there's what he's doing. He's going to write what he sees in a book. And here's the why. And send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. So there you have it. That sets you up with where we're at, who's writing it, why he's doing it, what he's doing it, straight from the Word of God. So now, let's talk about the city for a minute. The city of Ephesus was a large city. One of the largest cities in Asia Minor, which is modern day southwest Turkey. It was a population of roughly 250,000 people. Home to the Temple of Artemis, also known as the Temple of Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Known as this economic hub for huge trade routes go in and out here. So it's this economic hub, all this coming and going, people coming and going. So many things happening, so much busyness, so much doing. Also known for its pagan culture and lifestyle and worship and how it lived, the sexual sin the false teachings, the false witnesses, the confusion, what's right, what's wrong. See, already we can relate to that. Because we're not Ephesus, but we're Mansfield. And we're in a culture and a society we don't belong. There's sexual immorality. There's false teaching. There's false witnesses. There's confusion. What's right, what's wrong? In church, what's right, what's wrong? What's acceptable, what isn't? We talk about it. We debate it. We need to go to God's Word for it. And your life outside of here. What's right? What's wrong? In your workplace. What's okay to be accepted? What's pleasing to man, but what's pleasing to God? What's a work and what's a good work? So it has a lot to do with it. We can, apply, we can relate to this city. This city is 45 miles roughly from the island of Patmos, which is important in this, in the big picture. Because from the island of Patmos, Ephesus was the closest city to the island. So when these letters would go out and the job would need done for these to circulate, it was like in a circular pattern is what these churches were in, which is like a clock. And it reminds me of a clock. And it reminds me of time and how this church has so many implications. And one of them would be when these letters were dispersed and they would be getting delivered and circulating. As each letter went, time would run out. Kind of like this series that we're in. Each church that we talk about, as we circulate, as we go through these series, time is running out. The job was almost done then as it went. The job is almost done now as we preach, as we teach. Time is running out. It's very important that we know that and realize that because it hits us. It gives us the proper motivation. It hits our heart. 
So that's a little bit about the city and what's going on. Now let's talk about the letter that we're going to read, okay? This is the second letter to the church of Ephesus. Many of you are probably familiar with the first, the letter to the Ephesians. That was the first letter wrote by Paul. This is the second letter they will actually receive, wrote by the Apostle John. And we're going to read in a moment, literally, the words of Jesus Christ. So this is their second letter. The first letter warned them. It warned the church that wolves would come. It warned the church that they would be in a culture that just was rough. Confusion, pushback. They didn't belong. Persecution. I know we don't face beheading and things necessarily in our country right now, although someday we will, but in other countries they do. And that's a persecution they faced then as well. But we do relate to all the other things inside of us, what we battle, what we face. In the church, outside of the church, everything we just said around us, in our workplaces, it's all around so we can relate to all of this, all of these things. That's this letter. The first letter referred to love at least 20 times. Love was such a central theme in Ephesians, it was so important. In this second letter to the same church, love is the issue. Over 30, roughly 30 years, between 60 AD, roughly 90 AD, the church slipped. They were doing many things, busy, working. They were working harder, not smarter. They were losing what was the main thing. They weren't keeping the main thing the main thing. They were missing the mark, missing what's most important, having the wrong motivation. That's what's happening. That's setting the scene. Now let's talk about, well, let let me give you more about the letter, actually, because this is important, okay? It's also a literal letter. It was written to a church, to a people, in a time. It was literal. It's historical. But it's also universal, because seven in the Bible represents complete. It's a complete letter written to the complete church. It's for the church age. It applies to us just like it did them. It has prophetic application, but it also has individual application for you sitting right there and for me. And that's going to be our focus this morning is us as a church corporately and as a church individually. How does this apply to us? What's the why behind our what? What are we doing and why? Going through the motions? Or out of love. That's going to be the main thing. I love 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. It says, All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. It don't say work. It says good work. I love how Charles Spurgeon says this. He says, Discernment isn't knowing right from wrong. Discernment is knowing right from almost right. See, knowing right from wrong is common sense. Knowing right from almost right is discernment. And again, we get caught up in that. What's right in Jesus' eyes is a good work. What's right in man's eyes may be just a work. And there's a big difference. I love that. Our application is going to be how we do good work. This church, so there's the city, there's the letter, here's the church. The church itself that this letter to, they benefited from great leadership. Sound familiar? We have great leaders in our church. There's great leaders all around churches. They benefited from that. They had a, the Apostle Paul. They had Timothy. They had the Apostle John who's writing this involved with Ephesus, as long as several others. So they benefited from great leadership. They had a dynamic ministry, as we're going to read. They were doing many things. They were working. And not all of it bad. They're going to get commended for some of it. So they're doing many things, okay? Dynamic ministry, yet they're on the verge of extreme judgment. 
because they're missing the main thing of it all. Jesus Christ being first, not second. The love of Jesus, not the love of man, being what it's centered around. All centered around the love of Jesus. So that sets us up very well this morning for it. The church, the city, the letter, what's happening here, okay? So as we get into this, I want to... I want to do it a little different, okay? Because I am literally getting ready to read the words of Jesus Christ. Let that sink in for a minute. Jesus Christ's words to us right now. So I want to stand. I would like you to all to stand for a moment as I read these seven verses. And when I'm done, you can be seated. Revelation 2, verses 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You can be seated. So all points this morning are going to start with Christ because it's all about Jesus Christ. Each point this morning is going to end with the church. It starts with Christ and we're the plan, the church. So each point is going to follow that. And I'm going to say a point and we're going to draw, each point is going to pop right out to you this morning because it's going to be literally Jesus' words as the point. Our first point this morning is Christ is with the church and Christ is in control of the church. Christ is with the church, and Christ is in control of the church. Okay? And verse 1, that's where we're drawing it from. It says, To the angel of the church at Ephesus write the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So you may be asking yourself, what are the seven stars? What are the seven golden lampstands? What's this symbolism? Well, look up. Look up in your Bible. Everybody looked up to me. Look up in your Bible to chapter 1, verse 20. It says, as for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So there you have it. Scripture answering Scripture. So now, let's see this point pop. He says, to the angel, singular right there, to the pastor, to the leader, to the elder of the church in Ephesus, right? The words of Him, the words of Jesus Christ, Him who holds the seven stars. What are they? The angels, the ministers of the church. In His right hand, He holds them. He controls it. Who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Jesus is among the church. Jesus is with us and Jesus is in control. Mark ended last week with Jesus reigns over all. We pick back up. Jesus is with us and Jesus is in control. We have a commander, a controller, a chief priest who's in control. I love how Hebrews 4 says this. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, 
but one who is in every, every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. How we were talking about drawing near to the cross earlier and the feet of Jesus. Where well, we draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy, that love and mercy that found us. We may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. And that first letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians 1 says, and he put all things, God put all things under his feet, Jesus Christ, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, and the fullness of him who fills all and all. I want that first point to bring you so much joy, so much peace, confidence, and comfort this morning that I don't know what you're going through. Sexual immorality, depression, what's inside of you, what's outside of you, whether it's yourself you're battling or other people. Maybe you're battling things within the church we're sitting in. I don't know what what your situation is, but have peace, have joy, and have confidence that Jesus is with us, He's among us, and He's in control. He holds us in His right hand. If not, we would all be falling stars, right? Not stars. Because Jesus controls us. Jesus supports us. Our second point this morning is Christ knows the works of the church. Christ knows the works of the church. So He controls And here, he commends. He gives a commendation to them. It's in verse 2. Look at the first four words. I know your works. Your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles that are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. He knows their works. He knows what they're doing, and he knows what they're up against. He knows what you're doing and He knows what you're up against. Just like Hebrews 4 says. He can relate. He knows it all. He knows all things. He knows our works. Think about that for a minute. Think about the works. Think about what we're up against. What are we up against right now in our day? What's your battles? Maybe yourself, but right now I'm just talking more of the forces against us, okay? Except same-sex marriage. No. Attend a gay pride festival because it's okay and acceptable. No. Agree with the diversity and inclusion that being gay, being accepted, support it. We have to stand and we have to say no. We have to walk the walk. We have to speak up. We have to do what's right in God's eyes, not what's in man's eyes. It's so key. And Jesus knows. He knows what we're up against. He knows what we're doing. Let's flip that a little bit. On a more positive note, what do we do? Some of us are very involved in church. We're in groups. We're on worship teams. We're doing many things. We're busy. We'll get together and we'll play cards. Is there anything wrong with that? No, of course not. Should a Christian have joy and have fun and be in community? I think it's very clear. Yes, it's important. But let me ask you, why are we doing what we're doing? Okay? And we're going to get in that in a moment because there's a big difference in why we're doing what we're doing and why we're gathering and what the focus is and centered around. Jesus knows the works of the church. He knows what they're doing. He commends them. He says, you're calling out false witnesses, which by the way was in obedience to Acts 20. Paul said to the Ephesian elders, wolves are going to come and they're going to disturb, they're going to disturb the church. There's going to be some in the church that rise up and confuse and mucky the waters and make things seem to be okay, and lifestyles seem to be okay. You must recognize it. You must call it out and call it for what it is. Call a wolf a wolf. 
Call a pig with a wig a pig, because that's what it is. We are what we are, and God sees inward. God sees the heart. Our third point this morning is Christ knows the heart of the church. Christ knows the heart of the church. So we have a controller, a chief priest who commands, but here he criticizes. Here he charges them, has a charge against them. Here he calls them out. And when I read this, don't, don't look at this as a, well, yeah, Jesus is telling them they're doing a lot of things really good and nice. They're just missing one little thing. No, love is the biggest thing. This is a rebuke. This is not you almost got it right, like Charles Spurgeon says. This is you're wrong. You're doing many things. You're working harder, but not smarter. It's the love of man that you're doing this with. The duty, not the devotion, not the love of Jesus. As I read verse 4, it says, But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. What a short verse with a huge impact. I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Think about that for a moment. That love at first sight feeling, that honeymoon feeling, it grew cold for them, not bold. I asked this morning for some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, has it grown a little stale? Has it grown a little cold? Or are we strong? Are we bold? Do we love Jesus more now than we did before? Are we willing to do anything and stand for the love of Jesus Christ? So that what we do, we know why we do it. And here's the why, the heart. Jesus knew why they were doing what they were doing. And they were missing the one thing. You're doing good. You're bit like Martha. You're busy doing many things. You're, you're, you're suffering. You're sacrificing. You're serving. But nothing substitutes for the love of God. It all must be with the love of God. I always say, if it don't have Christ, it's just nice. And we can look good. We can be a pig with a wig. Like I said earlier, we can, we can try to be something we're not. But if we're in groups and we're doing things and we're not opening up and opening it in prayer, we're not praying during the group, we're not sharing Jesus Christ with each other, we're not praying afterwards, we're not giving thanks and praise, then we're doing nice things. We're smiling. Yeah. But is Christ the center? Is Christ the focus of what we're doing as individuals, as a church? Because that's what we're called to do. We've got to be aware of that so that we stay on course. We don't lose our love. It's why we do what we do. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever lost something? And when you lost it, I'll use car keys. You lose your car keys and you can't get to where you need to be. You can't do what you need to do because you don't have the keys. You don't have the way to get to where you're, you need to be and you're called to be to do what you need. But in our world, we have a thing called lost and found, right? You know where to go get your keys. You go to the lost and found. You find what you need so you can get where you need to be and do what you need to do. This is the same. Jesus is going to give them exactly where they need to go to find it, to find the love. Exactly what they need to do to be who they need to be and do what they need to do. We're going to draw it out of verse 5. And it's actually going to be our fourth point. Christ provides the cure for the church. So we have a controller who commands, who criticizes, but here he counsels. And here he's the cure. Christ provides the cure for the church. Look at verse 5. He says, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. So there's a three-step process here. You remember, you repent, you return. Or you can say, remember, repent, repeat. You rise up, okay? First thing, remember. 
What do we need to remember? He's telling this church in Ephesus in that day, remember where you've fallen. Remember what's getting in your way. Could there be something in your life that's getting in the way? I would say for many in here, yes, because we're human beings. If not, give all the thanks, praise, and glory to God that you are where you are in your life and in your walk. Walking with Jesus. But I would, I would, I would say that for all of us, there is something. See, the first greatest commandment is love the Lord Jesus with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And then love your neighbor as yourself. That first and greatest commandment, I would say we all lack at times in our life. And I hate to, actually, I love to tell you this because we need to know this, that that's a sin. Because there's a sin of omission and there's a sin of commission. We're good at not doing things that we shouldn't do. But sometimes we're not so good at doing things we should do. And when God and Jesus Christ isn't first in our life, above all things are all in all. When He's not just an insurance policy from the lake of fire, He's our all in all. That's putting Jesus first. Then the love will overflow into everything we do. Every gathering we have, it'll be about the love of Jesus Christ. Then we'll be having real fun and real smiles and real gatherings. That's the church we want to be. That's the church we want to be praying about so we stay where we need to be and we stay on course. Christ provides the cure for the church. He provides counsel. He says, you remember. Then you repent. You change mind that results in a change of direction. See, true repentance isn't just a change of mind. That's half the story. See, you change your mind that results in a true change of direction. Where have you fallen? Pray about it. Repent of it. A true repentance that changes the way you live. Then rise and repeat. Have your first love. Have your love at first sight. Have that honeymoon feeling. Have have that strong, bold love that will not grow stale and will not grow cold like this church. That's the three-step process. Remember, repent, and repeat. Three steps Jesus gives. He is the cure. But it don't end there because there's also a consequence. See, there's a consequence involved. There's a cure, but there's a consequence because there's a, we're commanded to repent. We have a choice. And when we don't do it, there's a consequence. Look at the second half of verse 5. He says, If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What's the lampstand? The church. Brother and sister, we know Christ can close doors. He can close doors of churches. He can remove pastors. He can remove elders. He can, mis- he can replace congregations. He can do whatever He wants to do. And He will take action. Sin needs dealt with. It needs to be taken serious in our lives. Not, oh, I'm forgiven. I'm good now. No, it's a serious thing that we preach on sin and we know what sin is. So people aren't just have kind of being sugar-coated of, ah, you're okay. Jesus loves you. You're saved. You know, he knows you don't want to do that. No, that's not it. Sin needs dealt with. It needs confessed of and repented of because Jesus takes it very serious, obviously. He says, I will remove the lampstand from its place. That's a big deal. Now, that don't mean we're going to lose our salvation. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. We're going to lose our place. I'm an elder. I can very easily not be an elder no more. I can preach the Word of God to you. I can very easily not preach the God to you no more. You're sitting in your seats right now. You can very easily not be sitting in your seats no more. Jesus will take action. There's a consequence. We must repent. Then we rise. Then we go. 
Christ will remove the church. That's the fifth point. Christ will remove the church. Our final point this morning. Christ rewards those who conquer and overcome as the church. Christ rewards those who conquer and overcome as the church. So there's there's a consequence, but, but then there's also a what's to come. What's to come for those who conquer? I'm going to read this seventh verse. Actually, I'll read six. Six I'm just going to touch on briefly. Um, obviously, it's, it's very important, but for the sake of time, six says, yet, yet this you have, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Notice he don't say you hate the Nicolaitans. He says you hate the works of them. And Scripture don't tell us a lot about them, but they were a religious sect that lorded over the church. I love how Clement of Alexandria, this is how he actually sums them up, and I'll pretty much leave it at that. He says, they abandon themselves to pleasure like goats leading a life of self-indulgence. They muckied the waters. They confused it. It's okay. It's okay. Kind of like I was saying earlier. They confused it. We can't be confused. We got to have discernment, even if it's right from almost right. And then in verse 7, here's where I'll read it slow. He who has an ear, we all have an ear, right? Let us hear this, brother and sister. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. What's to come? What's to come for those who conquer? I love John 16, Jesus' words. We're reading Jesus' words now. Here's more of Jesus' words. He says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We can overcome because we have the overcomer. We conquer because Jesus conquered. And when we conquer, when we find our love, when we restore it, when we rekindle it, we're not a pig with a wig. We're, well, I was going to call us all pigs, like we're real pigs. I guess we're not fake, okay? Put it like this. Here's a good, if I held up in my pick, hand right now a picture of a flame, a candle with a flame, and you turned off the light, would there be light? No. It's a fake, it's fake. It's a fake image. If you waved your hand in front of it, would there be any heat? No, because it just looks like a flame. See, when we have the love of Jesus Christ, we're going to be letting off heat. We're going to be ready to storm the gates of hell like Brother Mark said last week. We're going to have the proper motivation, the proper motive. And it's going to be, I am willing to do for Jesus Christ because He's my all in all. He's my everything. He's not my insurance policy. I love how Theodore Epps, as we get ready to close, Theodore Epps says these words as his quote, and I love this. Listen to this. Is Jesus merely your Savior from sins? Ask yourself this. Is Jesus merely your Savior from sins, your free ticket to heaven, and your insurance policy from the lake of fire? Or is Jesus your all in all? Is Jesus your life? Is Jesus our life? And when I say life, it's because we just read about the tree of life in verse 7. And I'm going to wrap us up with this. The first book of the Bible, Genesis 3, to the last book of the Bible. We're in now, Revelation 2. In the first book of the Bible, Genesis 3 says this, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim in a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. See, in Genesis, we were separated from the tree of life. In Genesis 3.15, we see the plan of redemption in Jesus Christ. 
And in Revelation 2, when we conquer, when we love Jesus Christ and nothing comes first in our life, it's a genuine, real love of Jesus Christ, then Jesus grants us to eat from that tree of life we were separated from. In the paradise of God, it says. Eternal life in the presence of God. That's what we have to overcome. That's what we have coming. That's what's coming for us as Christians. So in the big picture, bringing this all together to close, you have a church in Ephesus who was doing many things. They were busy. They were working. God commended them for it. But He said, you're working hard. You're toiling. You're working to exhaustion. But you're missing what it's all about. The center verse, verse 4, all about love, it's centered around Christ. Every point starts with Christ. Everything we do is all about love. It's all about Jesus. I said the greatest command earlier, Matthew 22, and He said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I want you to self-examine this morning. I want you to submit. I pray that you will truly use this morning right here, right now, to take it that serious. We stood and read the Word of God so that you can remember, you can repent, you can repeat, and you can rise. You can go. Go out into this world and share Jesus Christ. Don't let nothing, don't let it be another week of, yeah, I say it all the time, I'm not doing it. Share Jesus. That's why we're here, is to storm the gates of hell, and that's the way we do it while we're here on earth. Invite somebody to church. These pews could be so easily filled if we all just literally said, that's it. That's what I'm doing. Brother and sister, surrender. Submit. Self-examine. Repent. And have so much peace, love, and joy that you found it. You were lost and now you're found. You've rekindled it. You're not the picture no more with no heat. You're letting off a flame. You love Jesus Christ. Let us close in prayer.